Hi, this is Maya, and I'm co-host of the Cicada Story Slam with Annie Stewart. We um, set the podcast in a small town in Victoria, Australia, called Dalesford, where we have lots of progressive-thinking people, open-minded community. We run the Cicada Story Slam every third Thursday of the month at a local pub, and we have wonderful stories to share from our small town. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. nice group to come out on the first night. When we started coming up with the themes, of course, April, the first is April's Fool's Day. That put us in mind of jokes and tricksters. So the theme for tonight is Fool's Rushing. So a ballad five minutes and you've got an extra minute in there just to keep it tuned. Okay, so I know Petrus, you put your name down, so I'd like to ask you to come and start it off for us again this year. The Cicada Story Slam. The artist and the poet make up stories. Are they telling lies? Are they telling truths? Interesting thing is that where the lies and truth overlap, art and poetry hang out. And in the end, it's the audience who, like fools, rush in. Not the artist, not the poet. Here is my first story for the year. Once when I lived in the Flinders Ranges, I went to visit Lake Eyre to experience the phenomena of seeing it filled with water. For a few days, I overlooked this huge expanse of water in the middle of the desert and watched the amazing bird life both a peaceful and exciting time. Then one day I noticed a man doing something on the edge of the lake. After he finished, he slowed, trundled up, and I assume because there was no one else, he sat down next to me. He seemed to be in his 70s and was dressed with flair. He was French. I offered him a cup of tea, and after a while of quietly sipping our tea, we started the conversation during which we exchanged stories, and this was his. In his late 30s, he received an inheritance which allowed him to live without working for the rest of his life, no matter how old he became. This brought with it a dilemma. How would he live a, a, a meaningful life without work? After a long deliberation, he decided to create a 40-year project, and he decided to become an artist to do it. For the first 10 of the 40 years project, he would learn about art. And since he could afford it, he engaged the artist Marc Chagall to teach him everything he needed to know about watercolor painting. He learned everything relating to this particular skill. He learned about paper, about pencils and brushes, the various ways to apply, to apply paint to paper, dry paper, wet paper, sponged moist paper. He learned everything about how to build up a composition. He learned everything about sketching his ideas and about the washes he needed to build up layers of color intensity. He also learned how to lay down one layer of paint and to get it just right, which is the secret of watercolor painting. After 10 years, he had become really good at it. The first 10 years over, he could paint. His plan was for the next 10 years, he would travel the world and make one painting each fortnight, 
twenty six every year. And because he had become a watercolor painter, he also decided that each painting had to be of water from all over the world. He set out on his journey and painted lakes, rivers, streams, rivulets, waterfalls, ponds, the sea, etc. And each time he finished the painting, he sent it to another artist in Paris. Puzzling was in vogue at the time, and this artist was a man who could confuse people with his work that he became famous for his skills as a puzzle maker. He became known as the puzzle magician. Each fortnight, the puzzle maker would receive a painting in the post from the traveling artist. Firstly, he would glue the watercolor painting onto a piece of board and then cut it into a dazzling array of puzzle pieces using his magic formula. After that, he put the pieces into a leather pouch and labeled it with a date and place where it was painted. When after 10 years traveling and painting, the artist returned from his travels, he collected the 260 puzzles, and during the next 10 years, he would solve one puzzle every fortnight, which is how long it generally took him because the amazing skills of the puzzle maker to deceive. As soon as he had solved one puzzle, he took it to another artist who was a restorer of paintings. This master of his trade would glue the pieces of board together then by restoring the watercolor back to its original form on one sheet of paper, he removed it from the backing board, and each time the restorer finished the restoration of one watercolor painting, he rolled it up, placed it into a postal tube, and wrote the date and place on where it was painted. For the next and final 10 years of his project, the artist took his 260 paintings with him and revisited the places where he had originally painted the scenes one place every two weeks. There he would take his painting off that scene and dip it in and out of the water until the watercolor painting was totally dissolved. This what was he was doing at the no when I noticed him at the edge of the lake. After this, he was going to travel to the next port of call, and so was his whole collection of watercolor paintings until he could be left with, would be left with 260 sheets of white paper. Surely this is a puzzle for you also. Thank you, Petrus, for starting off with something so deep as that one and big and a mystery. That was very moving, wasn't it, to hear all that? So thank you for that. I did a bit of research about April Fool's Day. I don't know if anyone else knows much about it, but I heard it was when the Gregorian calendar was introduced and March used to be New Year, but they brought it up to January 1st. <coughs> So you'd celebrate from the end of March to April and you sort of forgot it, you were called the April Fool. And I looked around seeing if I could find any things that were April Day um, tricks on people. And the most famous one I read of was when they talked about the famous spaghetti trees, the BBC, does anyone remember that? And they hung trails of spaghetti on trees and told people this was a new form of the news. Exactly. And the only one I heard of in um, Dalesford this year was Cliffy's, naughty Liam Thornycroft. It was at Bushel's Coffee, there was a sign, the old Cliffy's, and they said to hark back to the old tradition, we won't be serving lattes and cappuccinos, but we'll be just serving instant Bushel's Coffee. <laughs> I think a few of us had a little bit of a start when we read that. 
But I'd like to ask our next storyteller up, and she said she's got something ready. So, Stephanie Barron, who did say, when are we starting again, on several occasions. So please welcome Stephanie. I didn't say I had anything ready. I said I thought of something in the car. <laughs> Bit of a difference. Well, I was thinking of Fool's Rush in, and nothing was coming, even though I pleaded and requested that we get started again. Um, so, Fool's Rush in. I was five, six, seven, eight, and nine years old over here at the Dalesford Pool, where my parents and other families in the district had raised money to set up the pool and the grass, which is still paddock grass. It came out of the Astley back in the day. And I was happy doing my swimming lessons. And one of my mother's friends, Mrs. Cooper, um, decided this is ridiculous that I was still going across the pool. I had done four years every summer of this Vic swim and I was still happily just going across the pool with my head out of water. And she saw me walking around the deep end of the pool and she pushed me in. And I went, blah, 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 blah. And I went to the bottom. She didn't, she thought that I could do it. She thought, you've got confidence, you just don't know it. Uh, and Bevan Holland, who was the really hot 17 year old, I came to with him giving me mouth to mouth. So that was the first time that I tried to swim all by myself. Uh, fast forward, I am 12. We're on one of those car rallies. Not going really, really fast around a track, but it's where you, I don't know what they call them, but you'd get a clue and you'd have to take a washer off a nail on a tree and read the next clue and then you'd all buzz off once you'd figured out the clue to the next spot. And we were doing this and we ended up um, at a dam, this massive dam out near Krushiang somewhere. And I was always brave in the water so long as my head stayed out. So. In I went, because everyone was going in canoes. So we're all in canoes, of course, too many kids in a canoe. And the canoe capsized. I was fine. I was doing my little head up dog paddling to shore, very, very happily. But one of the girls, who's actually a fantastic swimmer, had been trapped under the canoe. And when she got out, she was in full flight panic. And she sat on my head, bloop, 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 bloop. Down I went. Second time was uh, Ian Rogers from the hardware bringing me mouth to mouth, embarrassing again. Um, I get a bit older, I get a lot older. I am now 19 years old. I have a Maori boyfriend. He is an absolute water baby. We are at uh, up in the Murray and we discover where you can jump off the bank and just glide along with the, t with the uh, current of the water and then you'd hop out on the bank and you'd run up the bank again and you'd glide along. Well, we were doing that until I got a little bit too far away and we were in the rush of the water and I got caught. I got my foot snagged under a tree branch and I'm okay in that I can't untangle my legs, um, but the water is, my nose is free, but my mouth is not and I'm trying to teach myself to be really calm, you don't open your mouth, your nose is working, all the rest of it. 
I took on a lot of water. I didn't drown, um, but Rungopai jumped into the water to come and untangle my feet and get me out. And uh, when we got on the bank, I was getting rid of a lot of water, and he had dived into a uh, stump and cracked his collarbone. So off we went to the hospital. So I spent the rest of my life above water. Um, I have long hair, but uh, have never had my head underwater in the shower ever. So no water touches my face, and I'm a very happy human. Um, then become a mum. Eve comes along. Uh, we take her to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years of swimming lessons. <sighs> and the instructor says, who'd had it for the last four, Stephanie, she's just one of those two out of three can't, aren't bad, ain't bad kids. And I said, what, what do you mean? He goes, well, she will do her arms and legs and not breathe for the length of the pool. Or she will do her arms and breathe, but her legs just fall down to the bottom. So people say, just float. We just don't. We just <laughs> go under. So after that, I'm thinking, gosh, this whole swimming thing, I need something to make me go in and it'll get me out. And my sister was living up in Cairns at the time, and her uh, husband, Andrew, was an incredible teacher, and he convinced me that the force of myself going in and down would be the force of myself coming up. So last year I learned to dive, shallow dive, like I'm down, I'm out, you know. Still not getting my face wet in the shower. Um, but fools don't rush in. This year is the very first time I'm having swimming lessons. <laughs> Thank you so much, Stephanie, for that. It does take me back to the pool, where I don't think our kids ever had a swimming race unless it was like eight degrees. I had to crack the ice. It was freezing cold. And then the bad talk like a pirate brother. I let him mind the kids one day in summer. And he went up to the pool, and he didn't have any bathers, and his jocks were very threadbare. It was kind of embarrassing. And it was the only day the kids got sunburn was when he was mining them. And one of his dear friends from the Painters and Dockers band, her name was Jenny Pineapple, dived into the pool, hit her head. And fortunately, my sister-in-law, Elizabeth Quinn, was there to save them all. And Max O'Shea could not believe that Elizabeth was related to the talk like a pirate. <laughs> it's a funny old family. But uh, thank you so much for that, Stephanie, and, and at an impromptu kind of a Ago, so I enjoyed that. Now Don is arrived today and he's bravely getting up to do one for the first time. Now Don, is it you that's taken over with the Agricultural Society? Hi. Your president? Yes. So the Agricultural Society, this is the chap if you need want to be involved, this is who to talk to. So put your hands together for Don Henry. Thanks very much. I regard this as a please regard this as an ad for the agricultural society. <laughs> but, uh, look, uh, and I'm sorry, and I I had a great story for the local 
hero, uh, but that was unfortunately last year. But I did promise, I said to you, well, I will come. And uh, I, I didn't kind of register the fool's rush in until I had a look at about quarter past six tonight <laughs> and saw that it's the cicada is back, fools rush in. And while I was driving in from Bellato, I thought, well, that must be the topic. <laughs> and I, it's, I could really tell you a terribly, terribly moving story, I suppose, because tonight it's 50 years since my first child, my daughter, my lovely daughter, was born at about half past ten on the Thursday before Good Friday. Uh, and certainly that was fools rushing in because in, in the 60s you got married as soon as you could, about 19, I think my... No, no, we were both 21. Uh, and uh, we rushed into three kids in three years. But that's nothing. I have also, in my life, several times, I, I had some mates talk me into rock climbing once. Uh, I once told my group at Teachers College, oh, well, if there's nobody else, I suppose I will dive for us. And that was the most embarrassing thing, almost the most embarrassing thing ever. Uh, I was the only person at Teachers College to do a pin drop and uh, think that it must have had some degree of difficulty. But I uh, want to talk, in fact, about high school socials, because I think if there's anywhere where fools rush in, it's the high school social. Do they still have socials at the Dayosford Secondary College? Huh? Yes. Well, when, when I was at school, and I went to a tech school up until Form 4, which made it worse when I got to Form 5, and when I got to, well, truth's known, sometime in Year 11 I fell madly in love with this beautiful woman, and uh, it took me about 12 months to work up the courage at the for term one social in matric, when I thought I was a bit of a hero, I worked up the courage to finally um, ask this girl to dance with me. And if that wasn't fool's rush in, <laughs> nothing ever was. Uh, I, she was, as I said, she was beautiful. Uh, I don't look much different, really. <laughs> um, but I, uh, because I was so so uh, disconnected with the reality of the social, by just trying to psych myself up, uh, I finally, when I finally plucked up the courage, I didn't realise that the dance was the uh, the dance was called the Palmer Waltz. And I said to one of my mates, he said, he grabbed me and said, not this one. And I said, what do you mean? What is it? And he said, 
it's the pride of Erin with your legs crossing. And I kind of heard the pride of Erin and thought I should be right, that's the one that goes like this. But this other one goes cross legs, cross legs, and you need to know which leg is the left and which is the right, all that kind of complicated stuff. To put it mildly, the Palmer waltz was a disaster, <laughs> and it went from bad to worse. And uh, anyway, the, the, the net result was after, after uh, you know, a, a, a perambulation around about half the hall with about a thousand steps none of them in sequence. I finally just had to leave the floor, uh, which wasn't, and you didn't, you know, there was no dancing with the stars to get the hang of all that kind of thing. I hadn't seen on television what to do if you fall over or anything like that. It was just terrifying. The, the only good thing about, well, well I, I did, I had to front up and look at her in class after the term holidays, I suppose, and must have managed it. And uh, by the end of the year, she was kind of talking to me again, and, uh, and it was good. But really, the only thing that saved me from from mortification every time I looked at her and remembered the Palmer Waltz was that uh, I eventually met another girl who, perhaps not quite so beautiful, but at least had the advantage of liking me. <laughs> and, uh, and that, so I was able to kind of uh, mature very quickly, uh, or, th or at least think I was. And uh, I, I've known the subject of my infatuation. I've seen her occasionally over 50 years because she married a guy that I got on well with and uh, it's, it's tremendous. I met her and her husband just last year, hadn't seen them for years. The Palmer Walsh didn't come up <laughs> at all uh, but uh, she showed no sign of having remembered me as being kind of dyslexic in the feet department. And uh, I, uh, I can honestly say that uh, any, if, if I am required to participate in activity that requires me to move any part of my body in, in coordination with m musical notation, I, I just kind of avoid it. And if we were to meet like that, it would be a, a classic example of fools rushing in. I just avoid that. I, I do dance. I used to like the dance where you kind of just got in a dark spot and, <laughs> and kind of, did that kind of thing, 
but uh, definitely nothing else. Thanks very much. Anne. I too am a ballroom dancer. Used to go over with the CBC boys. It was always so exciting. On oh, what subjects do you do? Uh, always the same questions. But for the first five years of the International Women's Day here, I used to MC it and get to tell the stories. And I'd often say to the women, oh, well, where did you meet your husband? And they said, at the country dance. So maybe it's time, as you said, Don, to bring him back. Would you please put your hands together for the lovely Mahara. <laughs> I've been hosting international tourists from all over the world. I currently am hosting two Israeli women that are sitting just in the middle seats. But just before them, I was hosting a Danish girl called Naomi. And we spent a lot of time together and we talked in great detail about our families and our family traditions. And, and she, April Fool's Day was coming up and she asked me, if we did anything for April Fools. And I said, well, no, not really. I, it wasn't something I ever considered an occasion to do something about. I'd remember my mum had played an April Fools' Day joke on my auntie once about the trees had fallen down and it hadn't gone that well, but it was okay. So I thought, mm, I didn't have a very positive association with this particular day. But at the same time, we thought maybe we could make it fun. We just have to think of something that is light and doesn't cause any stress and doesn't make doesn't make the person feel bad at all um, about themselves or, or the day. And we thought we'd play a game for the girls. My daughter Artemisia seven, my daughter Alias fourteen. We thought, what can we think of? What can we do that would be playful and fun and would get them laughing? We've got to think of something that will make them laugh. So we started brainstorming and then Naomi came up with the idea of, well, let's let's start off with when they come down the stairs and we've got a big stair, a stairway and the, the girls have to pass a window and up around the corner into the kitchen. When they come downstairs, the moment we make eye contact, we, we don't make eye contact, we'll just look just past them, just across the ear the whole time that we serve them breakfast. And what else can we do? Perhaps we could walk backwards all morning we'll just walk backwards everything we have to give them will just be like what do you like for breakfast darling oh yes some bacon and eggs no worries we should not bake it um and then what else could we do maybe we could i know we'll serve them breakfast on the plates but we'll put all the plates upside down we'll put everything upside down so that was another idea and all this seemed very harmless and one last thing let's pretend they're both wearing extraordinary hats really beautiful hats. <gasps> Alia, what an amazing hat you're wearing to school today. Artemisia, absolutely stunning. Where did you find that colour? And so on. And as we, we really got into this mood of things and started finding it very funny and very entertaining, and we were quite convinced that the girls would be laughing and laughing and thinking we were just brilliant humans. <laughs> So the morning came and the girls came down and we tried our eye trick, but they sort of noticed, but not completely. And then we tried the backwards walking and they definitely noticed, but again, it was like, why? And then we offered the breakfast on the upside down plates 
And Artemisia said, Mom, what are you doing? You know, started to get a little bit upset and wondering why I was complicating things and why I wasn't focused. And then we tried the hats. And again, Naomi and I felt we were being so creative and our drama skills were really excellent on the day. And we really tried to be as um, lavish with our descriptions as possible. But as the morning progressed, I turned to Antimisia, who's looking at me quite distressed, and then starts crying. <laughs> and I look at Naomi, and I sit down and put Artemisia on my legs, and I give her a big cuddle and hold her, and just look at Naomi thinking <laughs> that, that that was a complete failure. <laughs> and that was what we did on April Fool's Day. Thank you so much. <laughs> so much for that, Mara. It um, put me in mind of a story from my mum, and I always feel quite blessed to have a mother who loved language and literature, and that's where I, it came down through the genes with me. And I remember one year she was teaching year eights, and she decided that she would tell them a little bit of new history and share with them the history of the Thatchers. And these were people that had prehensile wings that could fly up and thatched the cottages in England. And mum had this group and she went on and on and on until you know, slowly they're starting to twig. So living with a mother like that, there was always something coming up in a literary field for, with my mother. So thank you for that story, I enjoyed it immensely. Anyone else brave enough on our very first night out and about at the Cicada? Yay! Hello everybody, I'm Zorin. Um, I've just made this up, this is just, just to fill in the, uh, the Cicada story slam. Uh, this this uh, moment occurred to me, occurred uh, about 20 something years ago. I was playing uh, football, soccer in, in Melbourne and some scout came out from Hong Kong and he said to the coaches and the staff, Gee, I'd like this young fella to come over to Hong Kong and play some football there. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I agreed. The club agreed on, on me going to Hong Kong and I you know, started my sort of professional, although I was playing here, career in Hong Kong. So I went there in a big aeroplane and got off and a big van picked me up. And uh, the guy waiting for me, you know, they all came to the front and had a sign for me, you know, Mr. Drogriski. And I jump in this van that they ushered me in and there was a couple of reporters in there and they're saying to me, you know, asking me questions like, you know, how old are you, this and that, you know? How tall are you? And I was like six foot one and they're like, what, six foot three? And I said, no, six foot one. And they're like, what, six foot three? And I went, yeah, okay, six foot three. <laughs> so, you know, there was all this hype and stuff and I get to, the, uh, the club and uh, start training with this uh, Chinese team called Hong Kong Rangers. And um, so I'm training and, uh, you know, Chinese boys, there was a Brazilian boy and a Nigerian boy. We were allowed three foreigners per club um, training. And um, after a, a couple of weeks, I noticed this, uh, this girl that used to walk past the field, the training fields all the time. And I was a I was sort of, you know, felt a bit isolated and alone. And I thought, gee, it'd be nice to 
don't tell my girlfriend. <laughs> no, 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 that, no, about the wife. I had a girlfriend back then. Uh, so I noticed this girl walking past all the time, and I thought, gee, you know, I'd love to meet her. She's gorgeous, this woman, you know. And anyway, so I'd got the ball, and I just whacked it out, you know, over to the field, and I went, that's it, I'm going to go for it, you know. Fools rush in. Jumped over the fence and, you know, started talking to her. Oh, I? sorry, just getting my ball, you know. How are you? And, uh, you know, the next time I did it again because I sort of noticed on Tuesdays that's what she does. And then I did it again. And, and then I think the, the second time I said, look, can I take you out? She goes, yeah, that'd be great, you know. And she was young and I was young-ish. And uh, she told me where to meet her. And that day the club had just given me a car to drive around in Hong Kong and an apartment. And the traffic in Hong Kong and the freeways were just crazy. And I was, at one stage, <laughs> I was pretty nervous. I was driving the car down the freeways. And at one stage, I was looking backwards, driving backwards off the freeway going, I don't think this is right, you know. It's not how you get off the freeway. But anyway, so I, I park in front of this uh, walled house. It was a massive walled house. And uh, to meet the girl, I was going to pick her up. And um, in front of me, there was a parking meter. And I got out of the car. And as I got out of the car, she came out of the door. And I'm looking at her, and I'm looking at the parking meter. And there were coins in the car, and, and I grabbed them. And as she came out, I was, because I was confused. I didn't know what coins to put in. You know, I'd never sort of done this. And she came out, and she came up to me. And I opened my hand, and I looked down while she was right next to me, and a big dribble went into my palm of my hand. <laughs> and I looked up at her, and she just said, oh my God. Um, so that was pretty embarrassing. Um, <laughs> so the big soccer star dribbled in his hand, took her out on a date, and it went terribly. That was uh, story one in Hong Kong. Do I have time for a... All right, another... Two minutes. All right, so this is another quick story. After that career and that date, didn't go very well, obviously. You don't want to go out with uh, Dribble Boy. Um, I ended up in, uh, in Hollywood, working in Hollywood for some reason, because I met my wife there. And um, I don't think I want to tell this story. All right. Anyway, so I'm working uh, uh, on this film, and uh, Faye Donaway is directing this movie. And uh, I was working in the art department, and... She, she said to her DP, she said, I want that Australian boy, the soccer player, in my movie. And I don't say yes often, but sometimes I do. And my mate Will goes, Zorin, Faye Dunaway wants you in the movie. And I said, should I do it? They're like, dude, it's Faye Dunaway. You're working with James Coburn, all the movie stars. You know, there's big stars in this. You should do it. And I went, oh, shit, you know, I don't really want to. But anyway, so they get me... Uh, into wardrobe and costume and they dressed me as a sailor and my role is to walk out of this cafe or bar or restaurant and walk past the main love interest and start talking to her and it was a nighttime shoot and the cameras were coming down like this and they went action and this is what I did I went out like this <laughs> and they went cut <laughs> Everyone just cracked up laughing. Like, what the fuck are you doing? I was like, dude, I just got a bit, you know, into it. I go again, go again, and I sort of just did a couple of less skips, and I went, cut, no, go, just, just walk out. <laughs> anyway, that's it. Thank you.
thank you so much, Zoran, for getting up. And when you see your girls kicking a ball over towards some nice-looking chap, <laughs> you'll know why. Because this is our warm-up night, we just wanted to thank all the participants that got up and had a go. If you're not on our mailing list, please put your name down so we'll make sure we remind you of the events coming up and the theme. Thank you once again for coming and let's build it up again like we did last year. It was so wonderful to have a community night where people get out and have a chance to get together. It's so lovely to hear people's stories. So thank you and thank you to our storytellers. Hi, I'm Zara, and you're listening to the Cicada Story Slam. The Cicada Story Slam is in a country town in Victoria named Dalsford, and it may be a small place, but the community and people are great, and I, if I don't say so myself, the stories are even better. I would like to acknowledge Annie Stewart and Maya Irel, who made all this possible, and of course everyone who helps out behind the scenes, and you, for listening. If you have a wild story and you're a part of our community, Please feel free to come to the Cicada Story Slam and share your amazing stories, because we'd love to hear them. And the story takes you there Don't know why, you don't know where But the story takes you there On a winter's day in June I take refuge from the gloom Pellegrini's Cafe, 8 a.m. Where the postcard's old and warm Their edges frayed and torn Paint pictures of a time way back when And the story takes you there You don't know where But the story takes Everybody's got a story they can tell Stories to make sense In this old world's defense Just make sure you say it well And the story takes you there You don't know why You don't know where 
Are you strong enough to take that down And let the story take Take you there. 